Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, what's up, Mission Church? One service, one roof, what? I I love it. This is exciting to me. I mean, it's definitely a different time for church. It's unprecedented. Uh, They say in California, about 30% of people have gone back to church so far. In America, it's 48% as a whole. Uh, My buddy in Florida, they've been open for about seven months. They got about 55% of their church coming back so far after seven months of meeting. Uh, And so I was just super excited to have the whole family under one roof. This is, I think the last time we did this, we were about five months old and it was a Sunday night here and it was like raining. I think the Chiefs were in the AFC uh, championship because Josh is a big uh, Chiefs fan and they lost. Josh's team lost that night. I remember that. It was raining a lot. So it was raining. So I knew not a lot of people were going to come because Californians believe if it rains, God says, stay home. That's not the Lord. If it's raining, persevere. Okay. Uh, still come to church. Um, I believe a little drop's not going to hurt. You're probably just going to get baptized again. It's cool. Um, but we're together in one roof and I love it. Um, if you're brand new to the church, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. And I'm going to preach a message titled Back to the Basics. Everybody say Back to the Basics. Now, you are here on a special night. You are getting a two-for-one. A two-for... Who doesn't like a two-for-one deal? Anybody like a two-for-one deal? Anybody? I love when my wife goes shopping and she's like, I saved us 80 bucks, but you spent 100. Trust me, I saved us 80. It was two-for-one. I was like, this doesn't feel right to say you saved us money when you spent 100 bucks, but I guess you saved us $80. But I'm not richer, I'm poor. But anyways, this one, not going to cost you anything. Jesus already paid it on the cross. Um, But we got a two-for-one because I was working on a message about the Bible. I was going to preach on the Bible. I was going to talk to you about everything about the Bible. I was going to talk to you about the uh, minor and major prophets. I was going to let you know how it was laid out. I was going to tell you about the Pentateuch, the historical books. I was going to tell you things like Job is the oldest book and Chronicles was the last book uh, written in the uh, the Old Testament. I was going to tell you about how it was put together, canonized. I was going to go off on it. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And then I was going to preach from Psalm 119. I was going to read this in Psalm 119. Let me get there real quick. I have a Purell in my Bible. You know we got COVID going on when you got a Purell in your Bible. Look at that. I got a Purell, I got a Purell packet. COVID, everybody. Um, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Anybody want some joy tonight? You're not going to find the world. Start following the Lord. Watch where the joy comes from. Come on. Joyful are those who obey his laws. Man, I, we are in a season in our world where obedience is the last choice, where rebellion and rebellion against authority and just doing your own thing seems like the right thing. No, learn how to be obedient to God. Watch what happens in your life. You'll have some more joy. It goes on to say, uh, they do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his past. You have charged us. God has charged you. He's charged me to keep your commandments carefully. Everybody say carefully. I was going to go off on Fox News and CNN tonight. I'm not going to do that. Maybe. Hold on a second. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Uh, I was going to go off and talk about the word, about how I'll meet some Christians that are being shaped and reflecting more what they hear in Fox News than actually what they read in the Bible. I was going to go off on that. I'm not going to go off on that tonight. I was going to go off on Christians who listen to CNN and MSNBC and all the other news stations and talk about how they're being shaped more by that than they are the word of God that they're, they're getting stirred up by their news station and, and their verbiage does not sound anything like the Spirit of God, but like what actually the world says. 
I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not going to do it. I came across a part of Amos in the Bible that I've never read. Anybody ever heard Amos preach in the Bible or just in church? Raise your hand. Man, you went to some great churches because you never hear famous Amos. You know what I'm saying? Amos in the Bible is one of the um, uh, uh, prophet books in, in the Old Testament. And I found this little part of Amos 8 and it just, it made me weep. I'm talking, it, it brought me to a place where I said, I got to do something a little different. So you're going to get a two for one because I still want to uh, share a little bit of just the importance of scripture to you because we're handing out our life journals. We want you to get into the word and that's going to be a big part of the message today. Get in the word is still the big heart of it. But I got pulled back to the Old Testament a little bit. Do you know that it, for us to experience new, sometimes you got to go back to old. Um, sometimes you got to go back to the old ways to experience new things from heaven. This old book has uh, new things. Did you know that? A thousand years old, but it's got new things. You're, 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 you think culture is innovative and creative? It's the same old stuff the enemy's been doing for thousands of years. It's, uh, culture's old. This is where the new stuff is. And so I want to read you Matthew 7. I'm going to go to my message, read a little bit, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go into the uh, two-parter. So again, two for one. I better get this Purell because I step on it. It's going to explode, and that's embarrassing. Okay, let's go. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, if you have your Bibles. Here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is Jesus uh, uh, preaching one of the greatest messages of all time. I would submit to you maybe the greatest message Sermon on the Mount. It's phenomenal. And he's talking about a house being built. He's talking about his words and his advice, his authority, uh, his scripture. He, he talks about the law um, in Psalms. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, when you hear the law in scripture, even in, in, in Psalm 119, law doesn't just mean law, it just means authority. It, it, every, everything is scripture. Psalm's not law, but the law was a, a, a word that would be used for scripture back then. So Jesus was talking about the law. He's talking about a lot of things. He says, anybody who listens to these words, listens to the law, listens to scripture, like a wise man who builds his house. And I, I love this part. It says, uh, puts them into practice. Everybody say practice. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice? We're talking about practice. Joe Little, youth pastor, love Joe Little. Who loves Joe Little? Come on now. That's about 80%. You only got to win 20%. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. As a youth pastor, I was at 50%. So you're, you're light years ahead of me. Um, so Joe Little is a youth pastor. We went golf for the first time about almost a year ago at Chardonnay Golf Course. And Joe had just been picking up golf. And to quote Charles Barkley, Joe was terrible. I'm telling you, the worst I've ever seen. Terrible. Everybody put your clubs down. Put your hands on. We got to pray, okay? Get the, get the oil out. We got to anoint this guy. Anoint his hands. Anoint his clubs. Terrible, okay? Now what's nice about Joe is he knew he was terrible. One of these you know, famous philosophers said, know thyself. You know, and so Joe the whole time was like, oh man, I gotta work on my game. And so he knew he's terrible. Uh, he started paying for lessons. He's going, he's going to the range all the time. My guy is grinding 6 a.m. tea times. We go golfing again on our staff retreat about three months again. He's less terrible, but he's still terrible. <laughs> we'll talk? Okay, cool, cool, cool. But then a few months ago, took him out for his birthday. Took him to Half Moon Bay, ocean course view. And Joe's swing is completely different. He actually looks like a golfer. We got, I, I, I brought my anointing oil, put it in my pocket. We don't need that tonight. We don't need that, bro. Swing away, bro. Swing away. And, you know, Joe and I started talking. I mean, this guy's working on a spine angle, keeping his left arm straight, coming through the ball. I mean, everything. It's amazing what happens in just eight months when you put into practice what you've been taught. 
I think what's fascinating with Christians, and I, I remember when I was an early Christian, and maybe you're not an early Christian, but you still think this. Uh, how in the world is that person saved for 10 years and they're still just a terrible person? They haven't put into practice what God's taught them. They haven't put grace into practice. They haven't put mercy into practice. They haven't put forgiveness into practice. They haven't put love into practice, generosity into practice. They haven't practiced it. And so in this simple little teaching in Matthew 7, the, the Lord's saying, man, when you read the word and you don't put it into practice, you're foolish. Which my first, I was going to pre- uh, title this Foolish No More. Not going to do that now. Um, like, what is this guy preaching? A lot of stuff, okay? Let's keep going. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against this house. Yet it did not fall, uh, fail. Uh, no, it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Stop. It's interesting the picture. If you can picture a house with me, I know this is a familiar scripture. Whenever you read familiar, it's very dangerous to the Christians who've been in the house for a while. I know this scripture, Tyler. You don't need to talk to me about it. I'm good. Well, just bear with me, okay? When you look at a house, what's the one thing you can't see? The foundation. The, the, the teaching right before this, he's talking about two trees. They both have fruit. One bad fruit and good fruit. And so it's hard to even tell, like, what's, what's the tree I should pick? They both have fruit. And the thing he's talking about, the one thing you can't see again, is the roots. My, my hope to, tonight, as we look through Scripture, is that if you think anything else can fix the problem in this world besides what's in this, you have missed it. If you think that we can build some new walls, that's bad, bad, bad words right now, walls. Um, oh, dang. Uh, let me retract. Um, uh, if you think that we have to tear down walls, how's that? I'll do both sides, okay? All right. Uh, if you think that uh, us trying harder or having new political policies, I'm sorry, I'm just going to touch it a little bit. No, don't wrong. I'm, I'm, I, lo- I like politics. I vote. I, I'm, I'm engaged in, in, in that, those things. But if you think that's actually what's going to fix, oh, it's, it's just being foolish. Let's be foolish no more. What, 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 what the Barry needs it needs a church that's built on the Word of God. It needs Christians that are built on the Word of God. It needs Christians that don't have a, a fruit problem because they know where their roots are supposed to be planted. They got, they don't. Your fruit problem in your marriage is always a root problem. Uh, the, your fruit problem in your career is always a root problem. You, you, it's interesting to me um, when you go to four churches and you're like, I can't find a good church. It might be you, okay? Um, uh, I just can't find a place I really like to work. It might be you, okay? It just might be you. Um, uh, and the reason being is because you're not going to find the fruit that you're desiring until you plant it here and you start producing it. And so, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, you're lively today. One, one house, one roof. I like this. Okay. Um, God is so kind. He's so kind when he shows us the importance of the scripture. In Psalm 19, he shows us the importance of scripture. He shows us that scripture is like a lamp and a light for our path. So if you don't have scripture, you're walking in darkness. If that was just all he gave us, I'm still convinced scripture is really important. But then he also gives us scripture in Matthew 4. He says that scripture is like bread. We can't live without it. Okay, if you're not with, in, in scripture, you're not reading scripture, you're starving to death. If he just gave us that, that'd be good enough. But he goes on, he says scripture is like a sword. It's the, it's the machira in the, in the Greek. It's literally the small sword that you stab the enemy with. It is written, it is written. When the enemy's attacking you, the only way you can fight the good fight is that actually you have the sword to fight the good fight. So it's a sword. So if he told me it was my weapon, ooh, I can hop on board. Give me my weapon. But he also gave us more than that. He said it's like a scalpel in Hebrews 4. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It does surgery. 
You know those things that have hurt you in your life? You know the, the wounds from uh, um, betrayals, from maybe uh, a divorce or an affair or a parent or a kid in school or things that you even cause yourself? You're not going to get rid of that with your own strength. You need the scalpel to take it out and create freedom. Oh, if he gave me that, that would be enough for me. Oh, but he gives me more. He says it's connected to my success. Where are my type eights and my type three Enneagrams in the house? If you want to achieve, you're going to want to read the Bible. Joshua 1.8. Study this book of law. Meditate on it day and night. Oh, be careful to obey uh, everything in it. Then you will succeed and prosper in all you do. Done. Joshua 1.8. I'm sold. That's all he gave me. No, he gave us more than that. He says in Psalms that it's health to our flesh, the word. The Greek word meaning medicine. Man, some of us are sick right now. We're poisoned. Our minds need to be renewed. Our, our depression. You think that uh, the word of God can't solve those things? I believe his promises. It's a medicine for your soul. There's more, but I'm not supposed to preach that tonight. So I'm going to keep going. Does that sound good? And then it, as I'm reading and studying and putting all of it together, I come across Amos 8, 11 to 13. It says this. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. No more bread's gonna come, no more surgeries, no more freedom, no more success, no more fruit. The this is the famine of all famines. We could have another huge tech explosion here, but if the word of the Lord is not being spread out, this is the famine of all famines goes on to say, he goes, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. Thirsting. And so I'm reading that and I go on a just deep, deep study. I got to, okay, Lord, when was this happening? Now, my knee jerk, and I was right, was the 400 years of silence after the book of Malachi. Malachi, the Old Testament ends. And now Malachi is not the last book written. Chronicles is, but that's history book, but this is the last prophet. So over and over again, Israel always had a prophet speak on the Lord's behalf. Repent and come back to God. Repent, the Israelites will be saved, then they'll be disobedient. Uh, tell me if this sounds like you sometimes. The, uh, the Israelites would be in a terrible situation. They would cry out to God. God would hear their cries. Then he would save them, deliver them. Then they would forget that he saved them. They would live for the world again and get into bondage again. And then he'd send a new prophet and the prophet would lead them over and over again to freedom, but they'd go in this terrible cycle. Sound like anybody you know? Yeah, so this is what's happened. So they always had a prophet speaking the word of the Lord, bringing success, fruit, all the things. Lord said, there's coming a time, no more. So for 400 years, there was nothing. And it made me think of John 4. And John 4, if you know the story in John 4, it's the uh, woman at the well, and it's the, um, the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus tells her, I'm living water. And I, I felt like for the first time, I read, it for the, I read it fresh, John 4. I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, you remember that prophecy in Amos? There'd be no more words. There'd be a famine. Well, Jesus announced in John 4, the water's here. No more need to wander left or right. Uh, the word of God is here. Fruit is here. Medicine's here. Victory is here. All the things that comes with the word of God. Oh, it's here. Food's here. Who, who doesn't love when somebody says, the food is here? He's declaring it's here. But then I was really honest with myself. Then why is it that I feel like in the Bay Area, there's a famine of God's word? Because God said that the living water is here. And this is your two for one. I think that 
for us to see the Bay Area revived and a state revived, you gotta start with families. They say in studies, if you wanna revive a state, revive a family. So we wanna revive, I want California to be right. I'm gonna keep it real. There was a lady we met. She may actually be here. She said she didn't maybe come check it out. Um, and we were talking to her and I was wearing a Mission Church sweatshirt like I do every single day of my life. Um, I love swag, stuff we all get. Um, and so um, I'm wearing my Mission Church gear and, um, uh, and she goes, oh, uh, where's Mission Church? And I was like, oh, it's in uh, Molly Creek. And she's like, oh, uh, is it a good church? I'm like, it's a great church. It's an awesome church. <laughs> Like the best, you know? And so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, being an evangelist for Jesus. Um, and uh, she's like, oh yeah, well, you know, we were, we're kind of in between churches. And, um, and she's like, yeah, so it's good. And I was like, I, like, I got to be honest, I'm the pastor. And she's like, you're the pastor? And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, I'm actually moving to Tennessee uh, in a few months. And I was like, stop talking to me. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I was just so upset. And she's like, just, I, I, you know, she's just talking about the barrier and what it is. And I said, I get, to be honest, I get it. I get it. Uh, I told her, but I believe that God's not done with the Bay Area. I, be, I mean, I'm believing that God has something for the Bay Area. And, and one of the like, things I've heard from a lot of people who have been moving lately is they just want to be a place where there's not a famine of God's word. They're desiring to live in a place where God's word is actually shaping where they live. And so they're moving and people are moving. I don't, all good. Get your move on. I'm not, I'm not shaming moving. But I also feel like God is telling people to stay. And not just to stay to stay, but to stay to do the things that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. To build altars again, to dig wells again, to surrender and wrestle with the right things again. And so the title of my message is Back to the Basics, and we're gonna learn from the first family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob today. Does that sound good? Bow your heads. Lord, I give you everything. May my words fall to the floor, may your words soar. Oh Lord, I always think of it this way, I am a donkey. Uh, and you are looking for something, someone to say yes, to be used, to bring your presence and bring your glory. So Lord, Mission Church says yes. Lord, we say yes tonight. Oh, we need you, Jesus. We need you. Everybody said? All right, so we're gonna learn from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you don't know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, uh, there were no Christians. Abraham was not a Christian. Uh, have you ever seen the old movies, uh, the cowboy movies, where the bad uh, cowboy wore the black hat and the good cowboy wore the white hat? Well, there was nobody wearing the white hat. Abraham is actually worshiping like some kind of sun god, it actually says. By God's grace, he just picks Abraham. Abraham wasn't the good one. He didn't pick Abraham because he was good. He picked Abraham because God is good. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? So he picks Abraham. Abraham uh, believes God, and this is a big moment. And we see this throughout Scripture. He believes God, so it's credited him as he's righteous. So if you're trying to get righteous all the time, it's not through religion. It's through believing God. Just start believing God more. You feel shame that you're not good enough? Just start believing God more. God, I believe in your mercy because I was terrible today. Man, I'm righteous. Start believing God more. And so Abraham believes God and he builds something special. And really how he builds it is because God blesses him and he just stewards it. Abraham becomes a baller. I mean, he's balling. Livestock, everything. He just doesn't have one thing and it's a kid. And so he has a kid and his kid's name's Isaac. We're gonna talk about Isaac in a second. Isaac inherits everything. He inherits all the wealth, all the land, everything his dad believed for, worked for and stewarded. And then there is Jacob, the schemer. One in every single thing he wanted to do. Everyone knows, Jacob, we'll talk about in a second, he won in everything. He won with his brother. He won against his step, uh, stepdad. I mean, he, he won every single battle, but he was the biggest loser the whole time. It's amazing you can win in life, but still lose everything. He knew it. He knew he was still empty. He was winning in everything that he thought he wanted to win, but he was losing everything. He lost his family. 
He lost his name. He lost his integrity. It's interesting when you try to win the world's way, you actually lose everything. So let's look at uh, Abraham first. Let's, let's go back to the basics. I believe that for Mission Church and for you and I to play the part, because we're staying. Raise your hand for staying. Who's staying in the Bay Area? My people, come on. Who's moving? We still love you. Enjoy your few months here. Love you to death still. Go take the gospel there. I believe God sends people. I'm not mad at you. But if you're moving, go bring, give them heaven, all right? But if you're staying, I want to talk about what it looks like to build altars again. What it looks like to dig the well again. Because the Bay Area, if I'm being honest, there's a famine in the land. It's not a famine of money. You know what's so crazy? When I was in Van Nuys, California, I could just put a hot dog stand out at youth ministry and we'd have three, 400 kids in two seconds. You do that here, people are like, what are you doing? Like, there's no, I mean, this area has so much wealth, it's harder to fish for people. So Abraham, Abraham built altars. Real quick, just give you a heads up what an altar is. Uh, you'll see an altar the first uh, time in the Old Testament. You'll see Moses. I'm not talking about but Moses builds an altar. The word altar, even in the Old Testament, means sacrifice, slaughter. He builds an altar. It's usually something from the earth. Uh, in Judges, you'll see Gideon built an altar. It's just a rock of remembrance. So altars are just these things that man, uh, man built to remember, to worship. Uh, they were built for sacrifice. So I want to talk about some of the altars that were built, that Abraham built, that I believe we need to build again today. Does that sound good? First one is this. Altars were used for sacrifice. There's a primary purpose of an altar, for sacrifice. And can I just say this to you real quick? So the, my, my first point was just some of this. A Abraham built altars. So the, the, the primary purpose for an altar is a sacrifice. Now, yeah, I can't even say it soft. I'm going to say it hard. You're going to have to come to a place in your life where your relation with the Lord goes beyond convenience. That your walk with Jesus that you actually living for God, it's got to go beyond convenience. Because I meet a lot of Christians that everything just has to be convenient for them to live for God. Can I be honest with you? We're looking for a Sunday venue right now. And we're trying to lock one up by August. And we think we maybe have one. We're not, I never like to celebrate it until it's done. But we're trying to find a venue. We're going to be here for a little bit longer. But we're trying to find a Sunday uh, morning venue. And Rachel and I were looking at one. And we're like, you know what? That's five minutes down Ignatio. And I don't know if people want to drive five minutes down Ignatio. That'd be inconvenient. And I was like, oh my goodness. We pastor in America because that's actually a real thing I'm processing. We don't want to inconvenience you. I want to stay off the freeway. How dare us Christians drive five more minutes in an air-conditioned car? But that's how I was processing and I repented. And then I said, the ones that don't want to drive five minutes, send them somewhere else, God. I was, that, that was kind of, that's how I was pastoring that day. I was like, give me the real ones. Just keeping it real. Can I be honest? Let me be honest. Not saying it was right. A few sometimes process through convenience. I've been there too. All right. I've been there. I'll never forget my moment when I built my altar of sacrifice. I'm 19 years old. Got saved at 16. First few years of church. I went, was it convenient? It was, it was convenient. I didn't go all the time. Served when I wanted to. It was convenient. And I, I, I enjoyed church. I, I loved Jesus. And it was football season. And when football season came around, Tyler left the church. Because I loved my Seahawks. Fancy, any football, fancy football people out there? It's amazing, right? Don't worship it. It's not an idol. It should not be an idol. It's just fun. So anyways, I, um, I'm driving to the Seahawks uh, game with my friend. Not to go to the game, but we'd always watch it at somebody's house. We'd get pizza. 10 a.m. Seahawks game. And I'm driving down the 512. It's the freeway in uh, um, Puyallup, Tacoma area. Driving on the 512. My buddy lives uh, uh, in Lakewood area where we're going to watch the game. And I just feel this pressing on my heart. 
church is about to start. I'm going to watch the Seahawks. I felt like God was just tugging at me. Is this how you're going to build your life? Like you're going to like basic, like it just, I've just, I started to feel weird. And I remember getting off the exit and I didn't know about building altars of sacrifices, but I made a declaration that day. I said, God, this life, you can use it to build your kingdom. I'm not missing church anymore. I busted a UE. I drove to church. I felt so proud of myself. I walked, nobody knew. You know, walking to church, like, I did it, everybody. I said, no, the Seahawks. Yeah, so, no, you don't get it. This is a big deal. That's like me saying no to, like, like the world for the first time. And I told the person, at the, uh, the greeter person, I said, I'll be here every Sunday greeting for you. You, you let me know, and I'm, I'll be the greeter. Selfishly, because I wanted to meet the single chicks, but still, that's why I picked it. So, I want to be a greeter. I'll be your greeter. Went to the children's ministry. You need me serving kids? I'm here at every service. You have me serving kids. Some people say, well, Ty, you don't miss church because you're a pastor. For years, I wasn't. I didn't miss church. I built an altar sacrifice. Do you know one reason why I think that I actually made it in ministry? is because I built my life with an altar of sacrifice. Four years straight, I lived in somebody's house while I was a youth pastor making 200 bucks a week. Because I told the Lord, I will sacrifice. It's amazing what happens when you decide to actually sacrifice with your life. It's amazing what God will do with your life when you actually say, I will build an altar of sacrifice. Wayne Cordero, he's uh, an amazing pastor who's uh, recently retired, but he built a great church in Hawaii. And so when you build a church of thousands, people ask you to come speak all over the world. And he's uh, speaking in China. If you know anything about China, it is inconvenient to be a Christian in China. It's very inconvenient. It's like illegal convenient. You know what I'm saying? Inconvenient. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's regulated. Like you can have church kind of regulated, you know? And they have had this an amazing revival this past 50 years, if you studied it, it's an amazing thing what happened. But they're doing underground church and Wayne Cordero is there and people are coming from miles and miles, sitting on the floor and um, he's preaching and they're like hanging on every word of scripture. And, and at the very end, a, a, a guy walks up to him and he says, oh, we see pictures of you in America. We see pictures of your churches. Kind of, he sees the house, but he don't see the foundation. We see how amazing your church look. Will you pray that us in China, we could become like you guys in America? And, and Wayne Cordero looked at him and said, no, 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 I can't do that. You, you don't understand. We have AC at our place. We got parking galore. You can come and go anytime you want. And it's hard for people to get into the house. Everybody's got a Bible in their hand. You can't even get a Bible. And Bibles are dusty everywhere. I'm not going to pray that you're like America. I'm going to pray America becomes more like you. And if I'm being honest, it's always pierced me as a pastor in America. We have to understand. Uh, I'm, I, can I rabbit trail a little bit? There's no other service. I'm going to. Thank you. Um, when you grow up in a house as a kid, you just think it's normal. You just think it's all normal. And then you go to somebody else's house and you realize it's not normal. Like, let's say like, you grew up in a house and there's hoarders and there's just stacks of everything. And you go to somebody else's house, you're like, oh, they're weird. They're minimalist. Where's all your stacks of clothes and, and stuff you collect? It, 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 this is, you know, you go to somebody else's house, you're like, why does your house smell like scented candles? My parents smoke. Uh, my house smells like smoke. Why is this? What happens is you live in an area of the world. Please don't think the Bay Area is normal. Please don't think the way that we live is normal. When you get into God's house, you realize, oh, that was not okay. You start to go, I need to build different. The world tells me to build totally differently. I need to build an altar of sacrifice. I have seven altars. I'm probably going to touch a few of them. Then we'll go on to Isaac. Another thing uh, that uh, Abraham built was he built an altar for worship. He built an altar for worship. You got to have a place where you worship. 
And, and it's interesting that he would build an altar and then it would signify what God did there and then he would worship there. Another altar he'd build is he'd build an altar of declaration. It'd be a place where he made a covenant. So from this point on, I'm making a covenant at this altar. Another altar would be a, 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 an altar of remembrance, remembering what God did. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. You know what's crazy about altars, though? You won't find them in the New Testament. You won't find an altar in the New Testament. You want to know why? Hebrews 13.10, Jesus is the new altar. Wow. It, it, like all, all throughout the whole Old Testament, altar, 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 altar. Judges, altar. Uh, Moses, altar. I mean, look throughout. Altar, altar, altar. New Testament, no altars. But Jesus still tells us to build. And he uses a different term of altar. He says, go and build people, make disciples. And we're supposed to be just like Jesus. So let's, let's look at this real quick. Old Testament, there was a bunch of altars, rocks, altar, altar. Then it became the tabernacle temple in the Old Testament, Kenan and two. That was where the altar, the sacrifice happened. And then Jesus came, became the ultimate altar. And Lydia said, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And now we're supposed to build altars. And now the, the altars that are being built, it's not things, it's you. So you're the altar. And I got to ask you, what are you building right now? Are you an altar of sacrifice? Romans, Romans 12. May you live a life of worship as a living sacrifice. That's an altar. Are you living a life of remembrance? When people meet you, they remember the kindness of God and the goodness of God. Are, are you, are you a, a, an altar of remembrance? When people encounter, like, man, whenever I see that person, it reminds me, I need to get back to church. They're just, they got something I don't have. Do, do you, are, you, are you building an altar of decoration when people meet you? You bring them to a decision. I love, it. I love what it says in, 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 in Proverbs. It says, without vision, people perish. There's something to be said about when somebody sees the life they want. Do you know why I said yes to ministry? Because the pastor I met had the life I wanted. I came from dysfunction, and I saw a great marriage. I, saw, I came from dysfunction, and I saw joy. I came from depression, and I saw something I wanted. I saw an altar that I wanted to become because he was becoming the ultimate altar. And sometimes people are like, oh, you look good. Oh, if you're impressed with this altar, you're going to really like that altar. His name's Jesus. So many of us have been building the wrong things. And for us to be the church that God's called us to be, we got to build the altar. You got to build yourself. You got to put into practice. Can I get an amen? amen? Second thing is this. Isaac. Isaac started to redig the wells. I think it's interesting about Isaac. I'm almost done. Uh, I'm actually doing pretty good. One minute, 13 seconds. Um, Isaac redigs the well. So imagine this. Abraham goes through this whole journey. I don't have enough time to go through this whole journey. And then you're the son that was promised and you get everything. And if you know the thing about Isaac, Isaac um, had these wells that the enemy filled up and there was no more water. So he had to redig them. You'll hear this in any revival kind of message because it's so powerful and it's so true. But Isaac had to learn how to redig the wells again. Let me put it this way. Acts could be like, the church of Acts could be Abraham. We read the book of Acts in Acts 1. Man, they went up the upper room. They started praying. Prayed some more. And then they, got, they believed God, just like Abraham. God poured out his spirit. The church exploded. These people died on crosses. They were stoned. They were slaughtered. And they literally built this thing called the church. And it became a movement that changed the world. That's the church of Acts. And now there's us inheriting their sacrifice. We're the new Isaac. And I sometimes wonder if, let's just say Peter, or just some people who attended church in Acts, would come to church in America and be like, oh man, I, I took a time warp travel thing and I'm here. Welcome to church in America. I think one of the first things they would say is, man, we got to redig some wells. And what I mean by that is, the church in Acts, they didn't have strategy, glitz, and glamour. You know what they had? They prayed their face off. 
They just started praying, God, we want you, we need you. Boom, spirit came down and night, night, revival. Sometimes I think we, out, we try to outthink the room. And I, one of the things I want to do is like, so I was like, ooh, we should do a bunch of prayer nights, which we're going to start doing prayer things the first uh, week of the month. We're looking for a ministry center right now. We're going to start doing prayer and worship nights. The first uh, week of every month, we're going to fast and we're going to pray. It's going to be amazing. We're working on a ministry center right now. I'm loving it. But the problem when you depend on the church to be your prayer place is you're like a potted plant in a little itty bitty thing and you only go to like two feet. And so everybody depends on the church for everything. Well, I'll pray when the church prays. I'll be in a relationship when they put me in a small group, but I'm not going to create a relationship on my own. I'll, I'll worship when they have me worship. And the greatest thing a pastor can do for you is get you out of the potted plant and actually plant you in the soil of all soils, the word of God, and you're praying all the time. And we're praying everywhere. And you start redigging the well. We got to redig the well of prayer. We got to redig the well of what it means to be a real disciple and what it means to be a committed disciple. We got to dig, dig, dig. The Bible says pray for workers. The harvest is out there. We just don't have a lot of diggers right now. It's out there. It's, man, because we have so many other things we're trying to dig. So, okay, I'm almost done, I promise. Uh, this, I lived in LA for seven years and I just got to tell you something real quick. People in Hollywood are miserable. Famous people, you know, had some go to our church. Of course, knew a lot of people and knew people. We're talking super duper miserable unbelievably miserable. Bay Area. I now pastor here. So I've been in the place where the most famous people live and now I live in the place where the richest people live. And here's what I found out. They're both miserable. Because what happens is, is the world gives you a picture on the puzzle box to how to put your life together. And it says, dig this way. Put your life together this way. And so what happens is, is in LA, you get all the pieces from LA and say, you do this, you get this agent, you go to these mixers, you meet these people, you're up these shoulders, you, you, you sacrifice this, you got to do this, you got to compromise this. But if you eventually get there, maybe, just maybe, you'll become famous. What good is it if a man forfeits his soul but gains the whole world? Puts the wrong puzzle pieces together. And then in the Bay Area, you move here because you got to move here to, to, to meet the right people and the venture capitalists and got to get rich because a lot of people move to the Bay Area not to serve the Bay Area, but to use the Bay Area. Let's just be honest. Moved, and a lot of people move to place to place just to use it, not to serve it. But if I want to serve a Bay Area, I need to dig some wells because people need to drink. And so Jesus comes and gives us the picture of all pictures. It's his life. That's the puzzle box. He gives us the pieces, his word to put together exactly what your life should be. Man, I want to serve this city with you. I want to dig wells with you. I want to pray with you. I want to evangelize with you. I want to love people with you. I want to be patient with people that we need to be patient with. I want to believe with you that the Bay Area could change. I want to dig the wells with you. There should not be a famine of the word of God in this land. We need to dig the wells. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're almost done. So you have Abraham built, Isaac redig the wells, redug the wells, whatever you like better. And then last but not least, Jacob surrendered. Jacob surrendered. So let's learn from this first family. You need to revive the first family to have any family come to Jesus. So all, these, each, all these families need revived. We need to be revived. Come on now. Jacob surrendered. If you know anything about Jacob's story, I, I find it interesting. Um, I always thought Jacob was the hero in Jacob's story. 
Um, I preached on this thing a year and a half ago and dream again about Jacob, but I really like the more and more I think about Jacob and his story, Jacob's more like Loki than he is Thor, okay? Have you ever seen uh, the Avenger movies? He's like the sniveling, conniving, uh, you know, just manipulating. He's not the hero at all. And sometimes in the Bible, we picture these people as just the greatest humans that just had, no, he, was, he wasn't a good dude. He's a schemer. He wanted best for him and nobody else. If he got his, he didn't care if you didn't get yours. If he got his promotion, he don't care about your promotion. If he got his win, I don't care if you lose. My name's Jacob, nice to meet you. This was Jacob. This is, this is the beginning of it. Jacob becomes Israel, the beginning of our heritage. But he started out as the worst. Jacob was a wrestler. Any wrestlers in the house? Anybody wrestle in high school? Okay, let me tell you something about wrestling. The only sport I would never do. Like, I won't do it. I, mean, I just, I'm, I, I'm gangly, like, okay, get over. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm just not a wrestler. Now, I boxed a little bit when I was in LA. So watch out, you know. Um, but I, I won't wrestle. Because it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's too intimate. You're getting up in somebody's grill. They're sweating on you. You're like, did my, your spit just get in my mouth, you know? And then, and then like the way you lose is they pin you. It's just such an alpha move where like another person like shows that they're stronger than you. And then you're like, you got to get up in front of everybody and be like, thanks for coming to my wrestling match. I mean, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I, so this is one sport I wouldn't do. Jacob his whole life loved wrestling. He loved pinning people. He loved winning and alphing. So, he, so Jacob wrestles his brother through manipulation, pins his brother. Hey, I'll, I'll give you this bowl of beans if you give me your birthright. Boom, done, pinned. So goes on to his dad, dresses up, manipulates. His dad says, you, you, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Lies. Dad gives him a blessing. Boom. Just owned my dad. Pinned. Alpha. My dad wanted to do this, but I wanted to do this, so I've, I controlled him. Oh, wrestler. Pinned you again. And then he has to flee because of all these things. He's afraid to get killed by his brother, so he goes and wants to marry this girl, and uh, the, the, the father is also a manipulator. He's a schemer. It's always interesting when two manipulators meet each other. They're going back and forth, but Jacob's a better wrestler. And so he learns how to uh, manipulate the sheep and to breed the sheep, so he becomes the richer one. And, and so he, he, again, pins his father-in-law, wins again. Everybody who meets Jacob ends up losing. What a great person to meet. Who wants to meet that wrestler, right? Undefeated, Jacob in the corner. Finally on his way home, because Jacob has won in every facet of his life, but he feels like a loser inside because he's built his life on sinking sand. He has not built it with the word of God, with faith. He has built it his own way and he feels something in him. He's got to go home. He's got to figure this out. And he ends up wrestling with the angel of the Lord. It's interesting. All of us want to be the alpha. Let me just tell you, all of you are wrestlers. I realized I'm a wrestler too. If you wrestle, here's what happens. If you win your wrestling match, it becomes your identity. Maybe you win your wrestling match in your career. I won. 
becomes your identity. So you have to keep wrestling to keep your, your name. I, I did something really amazing in business and I wrestled to get there and I've got to stay on top. So it becomes your identity. No way could you lose that identity. Some of you have wrestled in life and you just haven't had a lot of victory. So, so your failures in your wrestling matches have become your identity. Oh, I've, I've tried to date and have successes and I, I try to wrestle and, and I try to fight through it, but I never just had a good one. So, so your identity is failing in your wrestling match. So your identity is always connected to what you wrestle. So you got to be careful with who you wrestle with. So finally, Jacob wrestles with the Lord. And at first, Jacob only knows winning. Losing sounds like the worst idea. Surrendering? Alphas don't surrender. They don't want to surrender. So he's wrestling God. He's wrestling God. God, if I could just pin you, then I can be in control and I can have everything right again. If I could just tell you what to do. So he's wrestling God. And eventually, he lets God pin him. And he surrenders. And the first time that Jacob lost, he actually won. And it makes me think of the New Testament. When you lose your life, that's actually when you'll save your life. It's an amazing verse in the New Testament that I always think of how Jacob did it. And it says that Jacob's hip was, of course, popped out of place, so he walked different. And it's interesting that when you meet a Christian who's really surrendered, they just walk different. Who they really are, Lord, just whatever you want to do. I'm not fighting it. Let me put it this way. Surrendered Christians even pray different. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come whatever you have for me this week. I don't come with an agenda. I just come with an obedience. Simply put, I want your will to be done in my life. A surrendered Christian doesn't care if you get promoted ahead of them because they're surrendered because they know God's the promoter of all promoters. They celebrate the wins. Hey, you got promoted? Fantastic. You're not who I'm wrestling with anyways. You're not who I'm, I'm not running against you. Congratulations. Somebody else gets a, a, a great week. It's all good. I'm not wrestling against you. My God, I trust my God. He's my provider. Three things that I want us to do this season, Mission Church. I want us to build altars again. I want us to build people. I want us to build ourselves up again as living sacrifice. I want us to dig together again, and I want us to surrender again. Now, how's the Bible come in play? I'm going to ask you for 15 minutes every day this week. Five minutes of reading, five minutes of praying, and five minutes of worship. If you're an achiever, 10 minutes of reading, 10 minutes of praying and 10 minutes of worship. Every day, see what happens. The only way that you're going to get built up is if this is the foundation. The only way you're going to redig is actually if you read this and pray what it wants you to pray. The only way that you're actually going to be what God calls you to be and start surrendering to actually what God has for you, it's in here. It's an amazing thing when the church starts to pray and actually not only hear God's word, but obeys God's word. Oof. Man, I'm believing the Bay Area. Man, Tennessee got nothing on the Bay Area. Texas, nothing on the Bay Area. Idaho, nothing on the Bay Area. God's going to do something special in the Bay Area. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.